Our Father, we we come to you because you've asked us to come. You, you've bidden us. You've asked us. And not only to come, but to come before the throne of grace, that we might receive help, comfort, strength, encouragement, and blessing. And you've also asked us to come boldly because uh, since grace rules, there's no um, issue there. I mean, we, should, we have free access, so we should come boldly. So, Father, I pray that you'd uh, instill that confidence in us that whatever our circumstances are, we would come with thanksgiving, praise, to honor you and uh, to recognize that you're the one who's in total control, even here in this dark world, even in our midst. Whatever our circumstances, Father, you're the one in control. So we can rest in you, knowing that your love will never forsake us. And our Lord Jesus is always close. Father, thank you for all things, therefore, and uh, even for times of trial. And there are times of trial, Father, and sometimes they uh, are very, very uh, heavy times, especially when we or a loved one is... Uh, suffering so greatly as uh, some in our midst. So, Father, I, I pray for our president and our leaders. Uh, there are so many trials. There's so much darkness. The evil one is very active. We're very well aware of it. But, Father, I know we only see the, uh, the tip of the iceberg, and the depths of evil are far deeper than we ever imagined. And yet, Father, you are working. There's no question in our minds about that. You always are working to accomplish your perfect purpose. I pray, Father, for our president that he'd be encouraged. And for those in the administration under constant attack, um, much of it seems unjustly. So, Father, I, I just commit them to you that they'd be encouraged and strengthened and, and bold as needed to guide and lead. And, Father, I, we do thank you for uh, our nation's relatively recent full support for uh, the nation of Israel, Father. And we don't know the end from the beginning you do, but uh, we do know that uh, these times are dark and leading and always towards that point when you're going to wrap it all up, Father, and accomplish your great purpose and that Israel will be right in the center of all of that. So, Father, we're thankful uh, and may uh, our our nation be set on a proper course in this culture of death that's so pervasive, Father, may it be replaced with the culture of life. Father, bless us as we open your word now. It's a precious word, and it's uh, so compelling. So, Father, please uh, open your word for us now, and we'll give you thanks and praise. In Christ's name, amen. We continue today. We have an opportunity to uh, come closer to the point where I want to be very soon, where we can look for a short time at the 1,000-year reign of our Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth, a time of great blessing for Israel, and ultimately the Gentile nations as well, as Israel will be the evangelistic force that evangelizes the world in that time. Father, we're looking forward to that. 
And in preparation for that, we want to consider the coming of our Lord Jesus to this earth again, the second coming, the apocalypse, as scripture calls it, which means simply the uh, visible and, uh, and uh, powerful, dramatic, miraculous appearance of our Lord Jesus upon this earth uh, in due time. He'll be coming in the clouds, as we will read here. Um, so, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity today to open the word that's uh, going to uh, influence, it's going to motivate us, it's going to, we, we trust, uh, be a blessing. Now, we're going to uh, today and in the next uh, lesson to consider the dispensational side of this all. The second coming of our Lord Jesus is for Israel, uh, for Israel, because the church, the body of Christ, will already have been raptured, of course, uh, before the tribulation begins. And we've already finished our studies on that subject. But... Um, the the rule the rule of the of the tribulation period all points forward to the kingdom and its establishing so uh, that uh, rule during the tribulation period is very distinctive very clearly stated in in really amazing detail in the scriptures we're going to look at today uh, next time we'll see what paul himself writes about that and uh, what the dispensational contrasts are between the preparations for the kingdom and the laws that apply then in contrast to the principles of grace which are effective today we'll see there are many great differences but we can't consider the differences unless we understand the details there so uh, may we uh, understand that even better today as we look into Matthew. And that is really where most of the details are found concerning that period. Now, as we already saw in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, there are many things stated, but as it all relates specifically to the elect children of God, the elect Jews, we find those details uh, mostly in uh, the Lord's earthly ministry through his disciples concerning the nation of Israel at that time. These things were written, Paul writes, for our uh, admonition, for an example, that we might not be led astray by false teachers and uh, turn aside from the rule of grace that's been instituted today. I mean, the temptations are always there. So, we pray that we wouldn't be led astray as others have been throughout history and as Israel was, of course, uh, so often. So let's just uh, remember that it's for our example. Last time we looked into the book of Zechariah, there were three chapters specifically that we looked at, and the focus was on the ultimate purpose of the tribulation period, how God's going to draw his nation uh, in saving faith ultimately and how this will be accomplished. And um, the spiritual side of it is uh, the highlight there in Zechariah, those last chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, 
where we read in chapter 12 and then in 13 and 14 of the spiritual salvation of this elect people. It's called a remnant, uh, a remnant out of the whole, right? Uh, there's a whole fabric uh, that made up the nation of Israel and its history, and God will eventually uh, save some. He's going to call a remnant out of the body of unbelievers, right? And they will be saved. This will be the sovereign work of the Lord, and the details of that are given here. So in Zechariah 12, we read these words. This is verse number 10. When that time comes finally at the end of the tribulation period, we read, I, I this is the Lord God, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me, our Lord Jesus, they shall look upon me, their, their Messiah, upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So there's a national focus here as well as an individual. God's going to save both um, in in earthly physical ways because he will establish the kingdom and uh, that will provide the inheritance in the land and so forth deliverance from israel's enemies all of that it will bring physical salvation healing for the for the blind the the dumb the lame and so forth um, but there will be the great spiritual blessing as well that's brought to uh, these uh, who live at that time God will fulfill all of his promises, and that that's not only in a physical sense, it's in a spiritual sense as well. And that's made clear in Zechariah 12, but in Zechariah 13 uh, as well, even more uh, detail is given here. In that day, verse 1, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And the Lord will present himself to them. And verse 6 uh, indicates the response of these Jews at that time. One shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And I will bring the third part through the fire. And the other two parts, of course, will be lost, right? And I will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Oh, praise the Lord. Huh? The elect remnant will be saved. This all occurs when the Lord appears visibly. Every eye shall see him. Um, the next chapter, Zechariah 14:4. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half towards the south. Okay. 
Well, that summarizes the whole thing in pretty graphic terms. The spiritual deliverance of the elect remnant of Israel will be accomplished. However, what will lead up to this is a time of great trial and tribulation, first the suffering and then the glory, right? And um, that's prophesied way back when the law was given in Exodus 19, as we saw, where, where God said, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. So there's a very, very big if there. The children of Israel down through the centuries have not been uh, aware or not certainly not obedient to the voice of the Lord. And uh, it's stated right there, Exodus 19, verse 5, that they must be obedient or they cannot be saved. So that is the message uh, that uh, underscores the whole period of the Great Tribulation before the return of Christ to this earth. So the Lord's preparing a people for his name throughout that time. Now, how can they be saved? I mean, it says if they're obedient, but of course they never have been. So there's a big question. How can they be saved? How could anyone ever be saved in this fashion? And uh, the answer, at least the missing link uh, to our understanding, is in Jeremiah chapter 31, where the new covenant is revealed. And that new covenant will bring along with it the Holy Spirit to the uh, children of Israel. And um, just just uh, one verse there, verse 33 of chapter 31 explains it all. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, meaning after the days of the great tribulation, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Okay, so, so uh, it shall be the Spirit of God is going to uh, take over, as it were, and manage the lives of that elect remnant. And apart from that, there would be no hope for them. They would continue along in disobedience. Now, just, just looking forward, where we're going to go now is today, we're going to focus on our Lord's teaching from Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, right? The theme will be watching and praying, watching and praying. Uh, and then uh, next uh, time, Lord willing, Paul's interpretation of this, he's going to put it in a dispensational context, uh, and that'll be next time, Lord willing. And then finally, uh, we'll look at what the Apostle Peter has to write about the Great Tribulation. That'll set the stage then directly for our uh, studies in the scriptures that relate to the millennial kingdom, the 1,000 year reign of Christ upon this earth. So today, watch and pray are the key words. Watch and pray. First of all, Christ says, and we'll see it in Matthew 24, as in the days of Noah, and he draws a parallel with those days. Of course, we're talking there about the days of Noah as God brings judgment on the earth with the flood. 
then watch and pray as it relates to faithful and unfaithful servants, then wise and foolish virgins, and then sheep and goat nations. So all of this is in Matthew, those closing uh, uh, chapters there in the earth's, in the Lord's earthly ministry. Uh, okay. First of all, then, just to introduce this, if we go to Matthew 24, if you'd open Matthew 24, I, I'd appreciate that. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, comments uh, there, which really provide, really set the scene. It, it's really an introduction to the rest of what we'll look at today. But uh, in Matthew 24, verse 3, is really a a critical statement to take note of if we would understand the Lord's uh, words to his people there. Uh, this is what it says, Matthew 24, 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's the critical question here, and that uh, underscores everything, because the Lord's now going to answer their question in great detail. So what the Lord says in answer of their question, uh, it really provides the uh, the framework, and, and the, it's, a, it's a detailed framework for what the elect remnant of Israel in the tribulation period will have to know. They absolutely have to know this, as we, we shall see. Otherwise, they cannot be saved. Okay, so uh, skipping down to verse 8, uh, mentions there, he mentions there the beginning of sorrows. Of course, the tribulation period is a time of trial and tribulation and sorrow, right? Um, for Israel and for the world. And in verses 4 and 5, he mentions what some of the threats will be and some of the challenges will be during that time. False Christs will come. Those are those who claim to be Christ, but who are not, right? There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Now, we all think that this has been going on all along, right? That it's going to be emphasized. It's going to be uh, such as the world has never seen before, right? Wars and rumors of wars must be that there'll be time of peace proclaimed, and that will be uh, a fact at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Therefore, the wars and rumors of wars will be something new at that time. And these are, of course, the signs of the times, right? There'll <clears throat> be calamity upon calamity. It'll be a very difficult time. Martyrdom will be the order of the day for believers. It's verses 9 and 10. There'll be false prophets, verse 11. They'll work signs, wonders, and miracles. Um, it says in the next few verses. But there'll be a ray of hope, too. And that's that, and as verse 13 says, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. In other words, there will be those who will endure to the end with the Lord's help, right? And uh, yet... Um, There'll be many that do not discern the signs of the times, according to verses 16 through 20. 
and it will be a time of great trial because of the miracles and the signs that the evil ones, the beast and the false prophet, will be working that will lead astray the world, right? And Christ says in another place, if it were be, if it were possible, even the elect would be led astray, right? But of course, it is not possible. The elect cannot be. Um, so discerning the times by way of the signs is most critical, and uh, he underscores that in verses 32 through 34 by uh, speaking to his disciples about the fig tree. Fig tree, the parable of the fig tree is the uh, the introduction to the whole section. And so uh, he says there, and I'm just going to summarize it. He says, um, when you see these things, in other words, these these signs that the Lord will provide and, and or allow, right? When you see these things happening, know that it is near, even at the doors. What's near? Well, the return of the Lord will be near, right? even at the doors. And then he says, I say unto you, this generation, namely the one seeing those signs, shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Okay, so uh, that's the, the lesson of the uh, parable of the fig tree. Okay, let's get started then and look at the days of Noah because that's where the Lord now begins to give the detailed sort of prescription for a life there in the second half of the tribulation period. Um, so, um, Lisa, would you please read those introductory verses there about uh, the parallel between the days of Noah and those times as they will develop? So, Matthew 24, verses 37 through 44. Lisa? Okay. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the, son, of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Okay, thank you, Lisa. So um, the theme here is watch. Watch, and of course, prayer is always implied, even if it's not stated, because apart from the Lord's help, how can anyone endure, right? Or how can anyone discern the signs uh, that are given? So watch and pray as in the days of Noah. What's the moral of the story? Well, there will be a great many who are not watching, and they are not uh, therefore able to be obedient to the, the requirements of that time. Right? The, the one that endures to the end will be saved, as we'll read in a moment here. But, um, you know, the, uh, the many... The many will not discern the signs, therefore they will not be obedient. 
and uh, they'll be taken, taken away in judgment. And the ones who are left are the uh, believers. Uh, they are the ones who do discern the uh, the signs and uh, respond accordingly. Okay, so they're the ones who are watching. They're the ones who are therefore prepared. They're the ones that will know when the time comes and what will be required of them at that time. The moral of the story is very simple, therefore. One must at this time be watching for the signs so that he or she can immediately respond. The ones who miss the signs due to their unbelief will accept the mark of the beast and they'll be lost eternally. Okay. Those are the instructions for that time, that time yet future, and only for that time. They're not for us today. Paul's going to make that clear, very clear. We'll look at that next time. We have already done that, so if you were with us for a while, you remember that series of studies. Okay. Secondly, the Lord continues here and speaks concerning faithful and unfaithful servants. So, Charlie, would you please read for us from verses 45 through 51? Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if, that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a somber, somber instruction indeed, isn't it? Thank you, Charlie, for reading that. And uh, you see the consequence of not watching and not discerning the signs of the times and living as if uh, things will just go on as they have before, right? Uh, instead of uh, knowing what the Lord is doing at that time and responding accordingly. So uh, I think the message is pretty clear, though there and it continues in the next chapter only now we get to this uh, very well-known uh, parable concerning the wise and foolish virgins and uh, <laughs> Patty would you read that for us please uh, in chapter 25 of Matthew and verses 1 through 13 and as she reads it just, just notice the division between the five uh, wise and the five foolish, the incredible difference between them. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom, bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Okay, <clears throat> so be it. Okay, so you see, when that day or hour arrives, everything's already settled, right? Uh, there's no more time. The day of salvation is past, right? And the Lord says, now is the appointed time, right? Um, eventually, there will be no more time uh, in which one has liberty to respond to the Lord. So, again, the key word is the word watch, watch. Um, what, what are they watching for? Well, they're, they're watching for the signs concerning the coming of the Lord, right? And when the signs are discerned, when they are seen, then action is required. What action? The action that's specified, right? And so uh, in this parable, it is a parable. So, you know, as I've said before, you don't... Uh, you shouldn't try to make it walk on all fours as it were. So, for example, many, many go into this and look at the individual words and say, well, the oil signifies the Holy Spirit and all kinds of things. Uh, generally, they're reading grace teaching into uh, kingdom law, but um, let's not go down that path. Let's just notice that the teaching of the parable is that it is absolutely required that one watch for the signs so that one knows what one must do at the appointed time. And uh, it's in these scriptures that we read what, what one must do, not only that one must watch and discern, but uh, what one must then do at that time to be obedient to the Lord. Those that are not obedient are lost. You see that the, the five unwise virgins failed in what you might consider to be a very, very small way. They were prepared. They even had their lamps burning, but they did not have adequate fuel for their lamps, and eventually they burned out, right? Notice also that the ones who had a supply of oil for their lamps, the wise virgins, were not compassionate. They didn't share their oil, right? It wasn't the time for sharing. In fact, it was the time for total obedience in their waiting on the Lord and uh, their readiness for him, okay? Uh, now, much will be required of them still at this time. And remember, this is just a parable. It doesn't teach the whole uh, doctrine of 
how one must believe and live in the kingdom, the kingdom preparation period in this tribulation period, the second half, but just just the overview. So watch, watch is the key word again. Now the final section, uh, there are really two here, but um, the final sections. And there's a profound teaching here, which I think you might find quite amazing as we look at it. Uh, perhaps you've never seen it before. I know for many years I didn't see it, and so perhaps you're the same. But um, uh, Linda, I'd like you to read these first uh, five verses. So uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 36. This is uh, about the sheep and the goat nations. Linda? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I thirst, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came on to me. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Oh, isn't this an amazing scene that's set here? The Son of Man will come in his glory. All the holy angels with him, and he'll sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, from that throne, he's going to rule, right? He's going to rule. And uh, before he begins the time of ruling, he needs to divide up, right, the uh, sheep from the goats. And so they're divided off uh, into these two sections, right? And... He says to those who are on uh, his right hand, he says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's very interesting, though, is it not, that, that he doesn't say anything here about how they were saved by grace through faith alone, because, in fact, they weren't saved in exactly that way. That's for us today. What does he say? He says, I was hungered, you gave me meat or food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Now, uh, you might think that uh, that the, uh, the believers at that time might say, amen, amen, because of course, that's exactly right, Lord. When we did all of these things, we were doing them as unto you. But that's not what they say. And their answer is very bold and uh, very interesting. Um, and uh, Ted, would you please read uh, there for us uh, concerning their answer uh, and also those who are on his left hand. Uh, Ted, verses 37 to 46. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, or thirst, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they answer, also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hunger or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee, then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye did it not to one of these, least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Thank you, Ted. Well, there's something very profoundly being taught here, and I think you may need to study it. You may need to read this passage again and again to grasp fully onto it. And may the Lord open our hearts to this teaching, because uh, there's uh, a teaching here that we really should understand well if we're to understand the differences between what the Lord is doing then and what he is doing today under grace. Um, there's quite a difference. You know, Paul is going to explain that. We'll look at that next time. But uh, right here, uh, I would like you at least to notice that uh, the common teaching that we hear all of the time, in fact, I don't know whether I've ever <clears throat> read a commentary that doesn't say this, which is basically that uh, good works are uh, to represent the Lord in sort of in the sense that, that we see written here, uh, where one does these things for these others, right, sacrificially, because one is doing it as unto the Lord. Well, uh, these uh, who are righteous didn't understand that. Uh, they even dare, I their boldness is just uh, overwhelming to me. They've already been told they're, they're now going to inherit the kingdom, right? That's been prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Well, how dare they then say, well, Lord, I mean, we didn't do it for the motives you indicated. So what's happening here, right? <laughs> That's basically what they're saying to the Lord. And he says to them, oh, but so be it, right? <laughs> Um, in other words, they didn't have to understand that. What they had to do was see the signs of the times and respond accordingly by fulfilling the terms and conditions of the law because they had believed that that was a requirement, right? So they weren't saved by works. They were saved by their faith plus their works. The works were required, as you can see here. Um, the unbelievers, these goat, goats, as it were, uh, they boldly say, you know, when they're, when they're told that you're, you're not now going to be received, right? You're going to be judged. They say, well, but wait a minute. We didn't, we didn't ever see you there uh, in the person of this, un, this, uh, this weak person, this blind person, this, this uh, poor person. Uh, we never saw you that way because, of course, we were quite willing 
to bring forth these good works. And if we had only known, we would have, right? <laughs> so he says, aha, well, you didn't, you didn't know the necessity of, of the, and the requirement of the kingdom. I mean, they were not believers, you see. They were able to justify themselves uh, not understanding the absolute requirement of the Lord, right? So there are indeed here in the kingdom requirements not not gracious exhortations, but absolute requirements for obedience. Okay, that that's clearly taught in this passage, and I hope the Lord opens our heart to understand it properly. So there certainly are dispensational contrasts between the legal requirements of this law and the principles of grace. Now, next time I want us to look again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, where we'll see what the Apostle Paul writes about this, okay? See, what he writes to the believers in Thessalonica, in other words, what he writes for us as members of the body of Christ is quite different in its meaning as opposed to what the Lord himself spoke to his disciples on that day regarding the nation of Israel. Quite different indeed. And uh, yet he, he refers to that situation that will exist in the, in the, in the tribulation period. And uh, in, in a little bit of detail, gives a summary of it. And then he says, oh, but you're not of that period. You're not in that period of darkness. In fact, you're in the period of light. <laughs> and he says, so don't sleep as the others do. In other words, don't be uh, drawn aside by all the cares of this world. But rather, he says, watch, watch, be alert, be careful, be sober, because you're living, he says, in the day. And therefore, you have the hope of salvation because God is not delivering you into that period of great trial. He says, God hath not appointed us to that wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, and this is then the, the bold boldest statement of all, that whether we wake or or we sleep, uh, we should live together with him. In other words, whether we're uh, carefully watching and looking for the signs or not, uh, or whether we've already uh, uh, turned aside <laughs> and gotten caught up in the things of this world, right? Uh, either way, he says, we will uh, live together with him. So he says, comfort yourselves. Comfort yourselves. Why? because of the overwhelming truth and power of God's sufficient grace, right? Comfort yourself. So I would hope that this has been very encouraging um, to see how absolute the standard is for God's uh, people, Israel, the elect remnant at that time, and, you know, he's written elsewhere, when they see those signs, they have to run for the hills, right? They have to run to that place that the Lord has prepared for them. And, you know, that the, if they do not respond in faith because they've not discerned the signs properly, then they'll suffer the consequence. And you see the consequence is very, very great indeed. In fact, it's eternal. So 
God keeps his promises. By his sovereign power, he will save this nation someday, right? Today, many Jews are gathered in the land of called Israel uh, as unbelievers. But there will be many believers um, who will be saved in that day. Uh, and uh, they'll not be gathered together in unbelief uh, at that time, but rather in, they'll be believing when they, of course, see the Lord uh, in person and uh, have this amazing, this amazing encounter. Uh, for Israel, there will be a time of great suffering and then in their, their uh, deliverance uh, in his glory will be seen by all. Uh, first the suffering, then the glory. For us, we've already been gloriously delivered from sin and its consequences, and we will receive uh, the full benefit of that at the appointed time. So for Israel, faith and obedience were the rule of the hour. For us, faith and faith alone have secured our inheritance eternally. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you to see this. Matthew 24 and 25, and as well as some other passages in the gospel accounts, give all the details for the uh, Jews who will be alive at that time, you know, and who will be living through that seven-year period of tribulation. But praise the Lord, the elect nation will be saved through the time of Jacob's trouble. So, well, I don't know. Are we going to rest in the glory of his grace today and its sufficiency or be drawn off into the world's cares? I hope and pray we'll rest in the glories of his grace. So any questions or comments uh, today before we go to the Lord? This uh, passage is one that was taught often to me um, when I was younger, as a passage of the rapture, uh, um, mixing in the two. And then, of course, there's a very difficult understanding of who this generation is. Um, as Christ explains at the beginning, this generation, that's often confused as well. Yes. Yes, but now you see it clearly, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, very, very clear. Um, and like as you said while you were teaching, they try to you know, attribute the oil to different things and the, the virgins to different groups of people. And uh, it's just a complete and total confusion. Yes, yes. But it's so clear. If, if only we will just let the Lord teach us, literally, you know, at, in the tribulation period, those uh, who will be living then, if they don't take the Lord literally, they're going to be lost, right? <clears throat> They're not going to be allegorizing everything. I mean, just imagine the consequence of that, right? Or so-called spiritualizing. Absolutely. I think uh, the statement, you know, you, you don't get your theology from a parable is um, is very true. You know, you can get little little bits and pieces of lessons, but you're not going to base your whole theological outlook on a on a parable. That's a very accurate statement. Yes, yes, yes. So important to understand, and so few are teaching it. And even, even in, uh, you know, amongst uh, more fundamental believers, 
um, the law is often brought in, and you're right, these, these very scriptures are the ones that are gone to. The, the thing about the rapture that you mentioned is if somehow this is teaching the rapture. Notice the big difference between this and the rapture, and we'll look at this next time, but in this case, it's the unbelievers who are taken away, right? And the believers are left, of course. Why? Because they're going to be ushered into the kingdom that Christ is establishing on this earth. So the unbelievers are taken away into judgment. For us, we are caught up, taken away from this world into our heavenly inheritance, and the ones who are left are lost. Okay? Yes, yes, that's that's a great point. Um, I see that twisted all through the teaching. They are even confused as to who's being taken and who's uh, being left, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they have it backwards. Or, you know, I was actually growing up, that's the way I was taught, and I can see it very clearly now that it is backwards. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're not even accurate as to who's taken and who's left. That's right, right. Even though it's it's quite clear, I think in this passage, also a couple of other verses and other places that make that clear and from the gospel accounts. Okay, yes. any other questions or comments? Uh, Jim, um, I can relate with what Ted is saying. Charlie and I can both relate because we were taught the same thing. And um, it is so clear uh, these last years that we've been learning to rightly divide and we just really appreciate that because we were also in a state of utter confusion as people twisted uh, the word to make it fit their agenda. And uh, as we sat and listened, it was it was definitely confusing. So I can appreciate what, what Ted is sharing. So thanks, Ted. I think we all were raised up in various kinds of confusion. I mean, certainly I was and uh, many of us were. Right. OK. Any f- final questions or comments? Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in in prayer. Father God, we we do have our spirits uh, challenged, and uh, without the Holy Spirit teaching us, we cannot understand your word. We can understand the words as English, (laughs) but not the, the spiritual meaning. Uh, so, Father, please open our hearts, take away our blindnesses uh, as you continue to do step by step throughout our lives. None of us have reached the point of perfect understanding. There's still much more to grasp. And as we open your word uh, day by day, hour by hour, you teach us. Uh, and uh, we're so thankful for that. Uh, thank you for intersecting with our lives and changing our course entirely. Uh, apart from that, where would we be today? We know the answer to that. So, Father, thank you for your great blessing that rests upon each of us who know you. Thank you for the shed blood of Christ, so precious, so infinitely valuable, apart from which our sins would still stand in the way of fellowship with you. We would still have an eternity of separation as our future lot, but instead, Father, we've been transparent laid it into the glorious kingdom of your beloved son. So thank you, Father, for that. And may we be examples of your grace today and this perfect forgiveness. May we be bold to testify to those you bring into our midst. And may we uh, see you at work in amazing ways as uh, your grace is uh, manifested in other hearts uh, of those around us. 
Father, thank you again uh, for each one here and whatever our burdens, burdens of this day. Um, may they be lightened as we rest in the glories of your grace. And we, Father, we would thank you in Christ's name. Amen.